Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord in this place, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord wherever you may be out there in our streaming family. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. He sits enthroned upon shouts of praise. So wherever we are by ourselves, in a group, we can, we can cause there to be a tabernacle in which the Lord is at home. Lord, we love you and we praise you. If you will honor him, he will honor you. If you will honor him, he will will honor you. There is no dimension of human existence that the Lord Jesus by his spirit is not present in. Professionally, financially, academically, socially, emotionally. If you need the Lord to honor you in something, then back up and take a running start and begin to honor him in that area. Honor him in your business, and he will honor you. Honor him financially. Honor him financially, and he will honor you financially. It may not happen by daylight tomorrow, but he will honor you. We reap what we sow. The Lord just makes that so clear. Galatians, Paul writes, God is not mocked for whatever a man sows or a woman sows, that and that only is what you get back. So if we're a little short on the reaping, it means that we've been shy on the sowing. So we increase the sowing and we will increase the reaping. That's, That's just the way he is. He loves to bless his people. But he loves to do it in such a way that that we understand that our blessings are not dependent upon us nearly as much as they are dependent upon him. So you honor him in your marriage, and he will honor you in your marriage. Relationships. Now that's for free. That's, That's not the message this morning, but I just feel like I needed to say that. If you're running a little short on the harvest, then you need to check the sowing because we reap what we sow. 
We reap more than we sow, and we reap later than when we sow it. But it's coming. The harvest, the harvest is coming. I bless you. I want to thank you for being faithful in your support in so many ways of what happens through this place called Alamo City. Thank you for praying. Thank you for attending. Thank you for giving. Thank you for encouraging just all of the things that you do. We had a great first Wednesday this last Wednesday night, and got a wonderful group of ladies, wonderful group of youth and children, great group of men, and it was just a good time to, to be together. We do that the first Wednesday of each month, so keep that in mind. Now for this morning, hope has a name. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Now, with that being the, the theme, I want to give you, I want to give you something else to be to be thinking about along that line. Hope. And here, here's, here's the subheading. How to pray for folks who hadn't gotten it yet. How to pray for folks who hadn't gotten it yet. Now, I understand, uh, you know, that that is within the context of, of knowing the Lord. That's within the context of, of the Scriptures and the heart that God has for people. The Lord invites us to be a part of the winning of people, the gathering in of people into the family of God. We are all creations of God, but John 1.12 says we're not all sons or daughters of God, but to as many as receive him, as many as receive Jesus. To these, to these, the ones who receive Jesus, he gives the right to be called the children of God. So when we live in and with and around people who just haven't gotten that yet, but we care about them. They matter to us. We see them struggling. We, we try to say things, and sometimes they hear, but sometimes it seems like it goes in one ear and right out the other, and nothing has changed. I want you to look with me at a passage this morning that, that gives a radical way of praying, a radical way of praying, if you will for those that we care about, but just hadn't gotten it yet. Find your way to the book of Acts, if you will, and Acts chapter 4. We've been in and around this passage for several weeks since we began our emphasis on what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and how drastically things changed on the inside of the early church once they came to be filled with the power of the risen Christ. And that was, as we know, intended to be a, an example or a type for what we today, regardless of the generation, the century of the church, what the Lord intends for his people to experience. Not just having some facts in your mind and knowing some things and seeing some things externally, 
but for there literally to be the sense that Jesus Christ is alive in me. That I don't just know about him, he is in me, in his power, his fullness, his freedom, his joy. When that dropped 18 inches and that settled in on the, on the early church, they, they, were, they were radically changed. And, and their, their, heart, their heart for the world, their heart for those who didn't know the Lord grew uh, to, a, to a white hot level of passion within them because it, it was the heart of Jesus alive in them who's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance, that, that he really did come to be the Savior for the whole world, that those who would believe in him would not have to perish but would come to know eternal life, everlasting life. That, that, becomes, that becomes the longing. That becomes the desire, and even the word passion is not too strong, within the hearts of ones who are filled with that same spirit of Jesus. What the Father sent Jesus to do, Jesus would say, now I'm sending you to do. But on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't just the duty to go, it was the longing to go, it was the heart to go, it was, it was the desire to see folks saved, to see folks changed by the power of the love of God. Well, we, we, we catch up with the apostles in Acts chapter 4. After something remarkable had happened to a, to a beggar healed in the name of Jesus, you remember that story, Peter and John on the way up to the temple, the man, the man gets up just radically changed, walking and leaping and praising the Lord. A crowd gathers. Peter explains to them what's happening. 5,000 more men, it says, profess faith in Jesus, receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah and as their Lord. That, that ends up upsetting the, the local officials, religious officials. And so they arrest Peter and John and interrogate them, uh, put them through who knows what all, face-to-face uh, -face encounter with the ones who had, who had put Jesus through his torture and, and ultimately his death. That same group of men, now they turn on Peter and John. And then they release them because, as it, as it would say, as they, verse 13, look at Acts 4, 13, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. They couldn't refute the evidence, could, couldn't, couldn't discount what had happened. So they threatened Peter and John and told them, speak no more in the name of Jesus. And of course, Peter's response is, we cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. With that threat, they released them. And as soon as they were released, they went to find their brethren, to find the other disciples. And, and they found themselves shortly thereafter just in a time of prayer, pouring their hearts out to the Lord. On toward the ends of that prayer, we find these words. Look at Acts chapter 4. And verse 29, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence 
while thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Verse 33, and with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Skip over into chapter 5 and look at verse 12. And at the hands of the apostles, or through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders, there's that repeated phrase, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, a portion of the temple. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. Now notice what's connected with that Constantly added to their number phrase. Look at 15, verse, verse 15, these words. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Now, can I ask a question to church-going folks? And I'm assuming that probably is the majority in this room. <laughs> there may have been a few that just trickled in, not sure where you are. This is, a, this is a church. This is a church, you know. Um, what, what do you do with verses like this? What do you do with signs and wonder verses? Do we, do we, do we treat it like a dinosaur? Do we treat it like a T-Rex or a Velociraptor? We, do, you know, we see it, but we, but we have it put on a shelf over here in the Bible museum case. As if that was then, but hey, this is now. When you read through the book of Acts, my brothers and sisters, we're not supposed to read this like we're walking through the Smithsonian. We're not supposed to read this as if this is just the annals of the history of the church and that was how it was done then, but, but we couldn't expect anything like that now. It, Here's what Jesus said. And as he said it, he didn't put any time frame on it. He didn't put any limits to it geographically. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, present active indicative, he who is believing in me, the works that I do shall he or she do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. Hebrews will say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, 
today and forever. We, 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 we do a great disservice to the Scripture when we pick up, pick up portions of it that just seem to be too, too out of the norm, out of, the, out of reason for us today, and carve that out and set that on a mantle somewhere, a dust-collecting monument to the past when really the book of Acts is written for you and I <laughs> to have our faith stoked to have our hearts encouraged, to have us, instead of saying that was then and that could never happen again, instead for us to say, Lord, you did it once, do it again. What you did before, do it again. What you have done, you're good at. What you know, what you, what you do, you have all the power to accomplish. Do what is in your heart to do again. Now, I want to take that thought and run right smack dab into your relationship people that you care about that for whatever reason just haven't gotten it yet. That they may not be bad people. They may be good people. Or they could be in the far country. But your heart aches and there can be a longing to know, God, what can I do? How How can I be used of you to reach them? To, to be a part of your reaching of them and bringing you to them. The, 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 the problem, we don't need to spend any time getting mad at folks who haven't received Jesus yet. They just hadn't seen him yet. They haven't understood. Like you, like you or like me, maybe for years and years of our lives, it was just like talking to sheetrock when somebody tried to talk to you about Jesus and love and, and, and how you could be have a, a better life, a freer life, and so forth. There was just no response at all. It was because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, alive in the sense of being biologically alive and mentally alive, but a part that's just spiritually dead. But there came a point in time when somehow, some way, something started working inside of you and you started being drawn to things that used to you just to be cold to. And folks should fuss at you and condemn you and holler you, but you would just say, it, it really, I don't get it. I, I don't see what you see. But when you did see what they saw, then there was a change that came to be. That's, that's how it needs to be. Instead of us judging and, and, and beating folks down and slapping around with Bible verses, we just need to understand we love them, we keep speaking the truth, but we understand they just haven't seen it yet. And it really, in a sense, is not their fault. that They're responding to what they know. With that being the case, then, how do we pray for them? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Just look at this. Verse 29 again, the disciples are praying. And now, Lord, take note of their threats speaking of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish authority, and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. They use the word bondservants. The the literal rendering is the word doulos. That's the original word. And it is in many places in Scripture translated slave. Slave. It, It means someone who is who is in obligation to another. 
someone who is under the authority of another. But it can also be translated, as it is here, bond slaves. Here's the difference between a slave and a bond slave. In those days, in the Bible days, Old and New Testament days, there was something called indentured servants, meaning that a person could sell himself or herself for a specific period of time, five years, seven years, ten years, to work for the person who was paying that price. That, that, that is what the one who commits to be a servant, an indentured servant, would agree to do. But sometimes this would happen. Sometimes the servant would become like a part of the family, a part of the master's family. That there was, there was a place in the heart of the servant that wanted to be there, that, that, that appreciated, that in a sense enjoyed being a part of the family and the enterprise of the family. So much so that when the time of indenturement had been completed, that servant could choose to stay a servant in that household because he or she wanted to be. They were free. They could go. They'd lived, fulfilled their obligation, but their heart wanted them to stay. That had become home. They were called bond servants. They remain a servant in a household or an enterprise not because they have to, but because they want to. And there was an indication in Old Testament days that, that a bondservant would be recognized because he or she would allow the master of the household to take a hot auger and bore a hole, pierce, pierce the earlobe. And in the culture, when you would see someone with that Pierce marking, that was the indication that there is a man, there is a woman who continues to be a servant in a household who doesn't have to, but wants to. The disciples here use the term, not just slaves who didn't want to be slaves. Oh, but bond slaves, because our master has won our hearts. Our master is worthy of our trust. We understand his compassion. We want to be a part of what he's doing. So we will call ourselves bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Paul will use that term. It's interesting that that's how they begin this request. This pre precedes the rest of what they're going to ask. That, Lord, we, we belong to you. you. You chose us. You bought us. But, but, but we're here because we want to be here. And in the process of, of doing that, we've, we've gotten in trouble. We've been threatened. We, we can fear for our lives in a sense. But, but we belong to you. We belong to you. We belong to you. You chose us, 
but we chose you back. Bond slaves. Bond slaves. Take note of their threats and grant thy bond servants, grant that thy bond servants may speak thy word with all boldness. Now, that may not sound like a real significant statement, but the particular verb that is used here carries with it the idea of speaking, the ability to speak, juxtaposed to the tendency to stay silent. Lord, that you would grant us, you would give us back the ability to speak because our our speechlessness is strong in our flesh. We, we, we we, We can be predisposed not to say anything because of the trouble that we've gotten into for speaking these things about you before. And we're asking that you would grant to us the ability to speak. i got to tell you, there's so much encouragement in this that it just makes, makes me want to slap a Bible or something. Because what it, what it is saying is these men, these are the apostles. This is, the, this is, in a sense, the backbone, the structure of the New Testament church and the expansion of the church throughout the ages. But here, here are these structure characters coming to the Lord and saying, God, we can't even speak. We're we're prone to stay silent in the face of the opposition. We can't even speak unless you grant to us the ability to speak. And you know what? The Lord wasn't offended by that statement. In fact, if anything, the Lord was blessed by the reality working inside the hearts of the men that what he had said in John 15 is true. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And here they're understanding it. I, I, got, I, I printed it in a true north. The, this last week, Abby sent this to me. She found it somewhere online. But it said, somebody said, do, do you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? The response was, bro, you got to have the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. You know? <laughs> and that, that's, what, that's what this is talking about. Can't do a thing. Can't do a thing can't even speak as I should speak. And the Lord isn't upset by that. The Lord is just saying, amen, amen. You got it, you got it. But what you can't do, I will do. And that's why they were asking this, Lord, give us the ability to open our mouths when it's time for us to open our mouths. That we may speak your word, your word with all confidence. And I want you to notice, again and again and again, when there is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the exalted Jesus, invisibly now, filling and filling freshly a human life, soul and spirit, it's often connected with or defined by, described in emotion terms, emotional terms. This word confidence or boldness or freedom of speech or, or, or um, the, the lack of no circumlocution, the old, the old English word, no talking around the bush, that if that's going to happen, the Lord has to give it, but it is an emotion. They were understanding our, our boldness. That sense of boldness is waning. 
We've, we've been threatened. We've been, we've, been, we've been challenged relentlessly. We're weary physically. We're weary emotionally. Lord, the boldness is faded. Number one, we can't talk. And number two, we're getting scared. That's your apostles. They were filled on the day of Pentecost, fire in their hearts. But then as time went on, the pressures, the pull, the tug, they began to sense a loss of that what? Feeling. A loss of that feeling of boldness, that, that emotion of that kind of, that kind of courage in the heart. And so they asked the Lord to give it back to them or to give them some more. Give them some more boldness. Now, folks, listen. If we think that somewhere up there in glory, the Lord is up there sitting down here with a boldness meter, and he's plugging it into us, and we're, and, and we're just way over here toward empty, way over here toward nothing, and he's up there. When he sees that, he's just going... What else can I do for them? What more can they have? What more can I do? Instead of it being that, there is a sense he knows and we got to get that we won't continue to thirst for more from him. We won't won't be reaching out and crying, Lord, will you fill me if we're thinking that the filling is supposed to be something that we generate? And so we try to, we beat ourselves up. Why don't I have boldness? Why can't I have the boldness like that person? What's happened to me? I'm just a failure. And then the enemy gets in and he gets to kicking us with condemnation and, and we end up just giving up, just leaving. Instead of doing what they did here. The boldness meter was drifting way over toward the empty end of things. But instead of them staring at their own belly button and saying, I got to generate this, I got to make this happen, I got to get my going going again, they said, Lord, it came from you in the first place. We were hiding, scared of our shadow. We didn't want anybody to know we were followers of Jesus until your spirit was poured out. And now we can't shut up. It came from you, but Lord, we sensed that the meter. We ask you to fill us. I ask you to fill us. We ask you to fill us. We're telling you folks, listen, those two prayers that can change everything, but you don't pray them one time. You don't pray them two times. You pray them until it happens. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. We don't know how long this prayer meeting went on, but the heavenly Father, the person of Jesus, watching, listening in on this. The whole future expansion of the church beyond Jerusalem and even down to the generations that you and I live in today was dependent upon something happening in this room. And it wasn't that the men themselves were going to fire each other up. It was going to be the same thing would need to happen in them that needs to happen in you when you get discouraged. All these centuries later, Lord, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me afresh with your boldness so that I'll be able to speak your word. Now, let me, let me point out something or two about the word, the word word. It's logos, logos, logos. And the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. John, John 1, emphasizing that. Another name for Jesus is the Logos or the Word. 
Here's what that word logos at its core means. Intelligence. Intelligence. Accurate, true, vetted intelligence. It, it is when it when it comes to discourse, when it comes to speaking the word or words, the logos, it means the orderly linking and knitting together in connected arrangements of words of the inward thoughts and feelings of the mind. Let me give you that again. And I want you to see this in the person of Jesus Christ. The orderly linking and knitting together in connected arrangements of words of the inward thoughts and feelings of the mind. The inward thoughts and feelings of the heart of God are expressed through the orderly arrangement and knitting together connected in arrangements of words in the person of Jesus Christ. Bottom line, when God had something to say to the human race, he said it through Jesus Christ intelligently, accurately, and in such a way that the human race could understand it. So Jesus would speak verbally, but he would also speak through his actions. And he would demonstrate the intelligent heart of God through the kind ways in which he expressed himself to people. He said that we may proclaim your word with boldness. Uh, that, that, that is a reminder of the, the passage in Luke when, when Jesus, after the resurrection, is on the road to Emmaus. They didn't know it was Jesus. But now watch this. This is what's supposed to happen when the word of Christ is being preached, when the word is being taught in the way that it ought to be taught. Jesus, and beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Moses and the prophets, that's all the Old Testament. They didn't have any New Testament. He took Moses, he took the prophets, and he went line by line, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, and he said, that's where you see the Messiah. That's where you see the blood of the Lamb. That's where you see the line of the tribe of Judah. That's where you see the Messiah. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther, and they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it's getting late. The day is now nearly over, and he went on, went in to stay with them. came about that when he had reclined at the table, he took the bread, blessed it, breaking it, and giving it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Now listen, let's look at verse 32. And they said to one another, just two of them, but they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very and went back to, to Jerusalem to tell them what, that they had seen the Lord. Folks, listen. The, the, the disciples were understanding that if they were to accurately and authentically speak the word of the Lord, the words of Jesus, that there was going to, of necessity, 
need to be the burning of the Spirit at work in their hearts. If there was no fire with regard to the Word of the Lord burning in their hearts, how were they going to be able to ignite fire in anybody else's heart? Listen, I'm going to tell you, here's one thing you can pray for this preacher. And whenever, you, whenever my, fate, my old ugly face or my name comes up, here's one prayer. Lord, between now and Sunday, put a fire in his heart. 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 Because listen, if there's no fire burning in my heart, you're not going to get lit with anything. But that's, and that's what they were saying here. Lord, we want to proclaim your word, your word with boldness, with a fire in our hearts, Lord. And that, that only can come from you. We can't get it from anybody else or anywhere else that needs to come from you. Okay, let's, let's fast forward and transfer that to you and the person you're praying for who hadn't gotten it yet. The prayer needs to start with you praying, Lord, will you fill me with your spirit so that I will have the boldness to say what I need to say when I need to say it. Remember, we can't say anything accurately or authentically as a witness for Jesus unless he gives us that spirit, the power by his spirit. So we have the right to ask that, taken from this example. Lord, give, to, give me the ability to speak. And Lord, give me the boldness. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you see them or every time the name comes up, you're just blasting them with Scripture and coming down with that authority finger. It doesn't mean that at all. There'll be times when all you do is you're just in their presence and you're just quietly praying for them and loving them and expressing the kindness, the unconditional love of Jesus for them through you. But here, 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 here's the deal. Joel says, that is how you'll know that the Spirit has been poured out. The Spirit on that day of Pentecost, in your personal Pentecost, he said, old men and young men and women in the group will be prophesying, will be speaking in the power of the Spirit, the things that God has put in their hearts to say. You, you, you can't pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit, but Lord, don't let me, don't ever let me open my mouth. Those two are mutually exclusive. Lord, fill me. And there's going to be a time. And instead of you being terrified by it, you'll be blessed by it. And you'll be drawn back to it. That Lord, give me what you want me to say when you want me to say it. All right? So Lord, fill me. Give me the boldness. Open my mouth when the time comes for me to say something. Now, that's in the context now of who we're praying for, who we love. I hadn't gotten it yet. But I'm not praying for God to send a Billy Graham or a, somebody that you, but Lord, me, my part in this. I, I can't say it right unless you give me the ability. I won't have the heart to say anything unless you put boldness in my heart. So that's one of it. That's the first part. But then notice how they then began to pray. While thou dost extend thy hand to heal, 
and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. What they were saying is, the words that we speak, the truths about you, Jesus, that we want them to get, they won't get unless somehow the truth of what we're saying is confirmed to them. The Lord knows how to confirm the reality of who he is. He knows how to demonstrate who he is to folks who don't even have a clue, may not be interested. Saul was on the road to Damascus, bent, bent on doing what he was supposed to do, and out of nowhere, a light brighter than the sun and a voice out there. Listen, God knows no limits to the means that he can employ to convince the ones who need to be convincing of the truth of who he is. That's why they prayed. Extend, grant, extend your hand to heal. Extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place to the name of your servant Jesus. Extend your hand to heal. That means to cure. That means to restore. That means physical curing and physical restoration but it also means, and don't miss this at all, it also means emotional, spiritual, healing, restoration, curing, and restoring. We have all kinds of medicines in 2019 that they couldn't even dream of back in the first century. We've got all kinds of surgical procedures. We've got all kinds of advancements in science that Fit in with the truth. Every good gift comes from God with whom there is no shadow or variableness of change. Every good thing, every good thing comes from God. Well, we don't have as many people struggling with as many of the same things as they did 2,000 years ago. But medicine hadn't been able to fix everything. Doctors haven't been able to cure everything. Psychologists and, and their, their assisting drugs have not been able to settle everything. Hey, let me tell you what a sign is, a sign and wonder. It's, it's repeated. Those two are put together, and there's a reason they're put together, not two different classes of miracles, the descriptive of the same kind of thing that is being talked, spoke, about, spoke about here. A sign indicates a miracle with a, an ethical end and a purpose in mind which leads to something beyond itself. When it is a sign that God gives, it's not something that the person is going to be left thinking, oh, I just lucked out. Well, you, are you that stupid? I mean, I, that, no. It is something done in a way that it ties who it happens to somehow to asking the question, where did this come from? How did this happen to me? Where did this come from? Let me say this too. These are not, these are not blasting miracles. These are not destructive miracles. Most of the time, they're blessing miracles. Where did this blessing come? The goodness and kindness of the Lord leads a man to repentance. So as we're praying and we pick up these words, Lord, extend your hand to heal, but also 
cause there to be signs and wonders, signs, miracles, things that, that can't be traced to something in the natural realm that are so significant that the person so blessed, so blown away, they have to be open that maybe there is a Jesus. Maybe there is a Lord. You remember, you remember how, how the Lord won Simon Peter? I mean, you remember how he won him? They'd been, had all kinds of healing and things going on in his backyard all night long. Simon Peter was looking at that, amazed at that. But it wasn't until Jesus, at the end of speaking, finding, finding his Peter and, and, and his crew at the end of a long night of catching nothing, they were fishermen. That was what they were good at. That's what they were known as. They were pros at it. But Jesus said, if you'll push out one more time, drop your net on this side of the boat, there's going to be a great catch of fish. Which Simon Peter answered back, Lord, we fished all night, hadn't caught a perch, hadn't caught a minnow. There's not a fish left in the Sea of Galilee. We know where they are, and they ain't there anymore. So why should we try? But some way or another, he did. And Simon Peter was not necessarily the most godless, godly man that walked the Sea of Galilee. He was a fisherman. He was a worker. He, he, was, he was a man, a man's man, if you use that term. But it was when... It was when they dropped that net down and started pulling back that thing back up, and there were so many fish in it, they thought it was going to tump the boat over. They had to call for help, drug all those fish up on the bank, and, G and, and Simon Peter got out on his knees before the Lord and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. How did he equate that he was a sinful man? That Jesus hadn't rebuked him for anything. Jesus hadn't, hadn't taken a swipe at him in any way, verbally or any other way. Jesus just blessed the fire out of him. Jesus blessed him in a way that that man would know this had to come from God because we've been out in this water all night and we couldn't do it. We were invited. Folks, listen. We are dared, as I said, the better word is we were invited to pray for those we love who in our sins haven't gotten it yet. Not for the Lord to, to beat them down and slap them around and send them to, to an early hell, but Lord, a sign and a wonder that they will know so big, so great, so awesome that they know it had to come from you. Oh, that's the sign. The wonder is another word, doesn't mean a different miracle, but it means something that is so startling so imposing, so amazing, so stunning that whoever it happens to are brought to the realization this is coming from another world. At which point in time, the Spirit of the Lord may very well have you linked up, connected some way or another, and when they start asking, they text you, they phone call you, they email you, they show up with a red face in your door. What is happening to me? Where did this come from? You're able to say, one name, one name, one name, Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus is doing this for you. 
because Jesus wants you to have the faith to be able to believe that he loved you before you were ever born, died on the cross before you ever knew you needed a Savior. He's alive. He's real. He wants to come into your heart. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Help me pray. But that's radical, isn't it? That, that's, that's not a little polite little prayer, Jesus. We hope that one day somewhere this side of hell that you'll finally get the attention of my per- this person who, who's so hard-headed, so hard-hearted, that, that, that someday maybe they'll, come, maybe they'll come to you. It's this, maybe a hope. These, these folks, these men were praying in a way that, that revealed their understanding. That some folks will never, in fact most folks, will never come to faith in Christ unless they are convinced that they need him. And are convinced that he's willing and that he's able and he's ready to step into their hearts and rescue them and save them. So it makes perfect sense in a spiritual sense to pray, Lord, whatever you need to do, sign, wonder, extend your hand to heal the broken heart. It may not be anything physical. It may not be anything medical. But the ones you know and love have places, have things going on that medicine hadn't been able to fix. Money hadn't been able to fix. A new job, a new mate, a new whatever hasn't been able to fix. A hole in the heart that only the Lord Jesus can fill. You have permission to pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you for a sign and a wonder to come to the doorstep, to come upon the life of this one I love and care about. And I'm asking you to open my mouth when the time comes so I'll know what to say and how to say it and have the heart to believe it's true as you speak it through me. While thou dost extend thy hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name, through the name, through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. The name Jesus is repeated recorded over 60 times in the book of Acts. Many of those settings are places in which the apostles or the deacon would be saying in the name of Jesus, praying in the name of Jesus. The name is a substitute for the person. The name is a representative of the person, the person's authority the person's reputation, the person's, the person's um, power, the person's position. In the name, it's interesting that this kind of, they were, they were encouraged to do what they did before Jesus went to the cross, buried and was raised and exalted. They would do things in his name, and in his name to cast out demons and so forth. But it did not have the prominence it seems, in the Gospels, that speaking and saying and declaring in the name of Jesus, like they speak of it in the book of Acts. Why? Why? Because in the Gospels, he was still on the, on the Bethlehem side of the crucifixion, that, that he, was, he was empowered by the Spirit to follow his father's counsel and to obey what the father give, gave him to do. But he was still in the place of humiliation, of the diminished Jesus. But in the book of Acts, there are no more diminished Jesus. 
They're no more weakened suffering Jesus. This is the exalted Jesus. Before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They had that and it worked in the pulsing of the, of the, of the beat of their heart. Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no name like him. There is all names under him. Jesus is Lord. And so Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Peter said, I don't have any silver and I don't have any gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he walked. He did that. He said that because that's what the Spirit of the Lord had given him to say. In that moment, that boldness and that understanding was what he knew to say. That's not always how it is going to be in every situation. But in that situation, that's how it was. In your situation, you may, you may be amazed. You may be surprised when you find yourself praying with and for the one you care about. And you pray, Lord, I'm just asking you to bless them. And let them hear you say that. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I'm asking you to bless them in a way that they will know that it has come from you. Now, we may know that they're knuckleheads and they're hardheads and they're, and they're, and, and they're you know, got, got all kinds of moral and ethical problems. So was the case of Jesus with most of the people that he healed, that he blessed, they hadn't repented. Many of them didn't know who he was. They hadn't joined his church or given to his ministry. They were just people in the general population that God specifically and particularly wanted to know. He loved them. And it was the love that was shown through Jesus to the reaching of those and the healing and the blessing of those that caused them to turn to Jesus. They got it. They got it. How did they get it? a sign, a wonder, a healing. And again, that's not all going to be physical. It can be physical, and many times it will be. But it can be any other category of the human experience. Lord, you know what it takes. You know what it's going to take. I can't figure it out, but you know what it's going to take to convince them. Did you hear that? To convince them that you are real, that they need you, and that you will rescue them. Radical praise. Now, with that being said, I want to let us know that on the last Sunday of this month, our friend and brother, David Turner, who is now in Atlanta, moved from Phoenix a few years ago, will be back with us for a Sunday service. David's David's strength, David's anointing is in the area of being able to believe the Lord for the physical healing of people. Now, he will preach on Sunday morning, on that Sunday, and he will preach the gospel very clearly, saying that the greatest miracle is when someone turns from death to life, receives Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the only eternal miracle. Every other miracle is a temporary thing. We, we get our knees better. We live another 30 years before we die. We'll able to have the other knee to go back. The, the outer body is perishing. The inner man is being renewed day by day. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't interested 
in the things that affect the quality of our lives. A shoulder, an eye, a leg, whatever it could be. David has been, I think this will be his fifth time to have been with us. A businessman, he's in the the ministry full-time now, travels where he travels at his own expense. He won't be taking a dime's offering, requiring anything from us. He's just coming because he wants to come. We want to give an offering, but he's not, there's, there's no contract written. He got on a plane, fly in here, spend a weekend with us, and go home and never ask for a dime. It's not about money. It's just about the sense. He loves coming here. He loves this place, and we've... We have loved him. But he pointed out one time, and I needed to see it. I've never had any reservation about praying for folks with life-threatening situations, cancer, heart, diabetes, various kinds of things. Anoint with all, James chapter 5. But David said, look at the Gospels. Look at who Jesus touched and healed many times. You're not going to die of a blinded eye. You're not going to die because you can't get off of a pallet. You're not going to die because your arm is withered, your shoulder won't work. But for those people, that, that was something that gave them their lives back. Zacchaeus watching Bartimaeus He couldn't see. Jesus stopped. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want my eyes back. I want to be able to see again. Again and again and again and again, the way that Jesus would express the love of God for the individual would be to practically, personally touch them with power and set them free. Lazarus was raised from the dead. The widow's son in the city of Nain was raised from the dead. He could do those things, yes. But I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I, I think of this sometimes if I, you know, if I was, I'm not. I think sometimes I'm a wannabe rancher. You know, I kind of like to think of myself as a cowboy, which I'm not. But I, I, horses scare me to death. But, but, or they don't like me for some reason. <clears throat> but if a... If a rancher looked out across sheep, goats, heifers, steers, bulls, and he noticed some pockets of disease, noticed an infestation of insects, or he he noticed something that he couldn't fix, he, he wouldn't waste any time calling the vet. Uh, it wouldn't be a lack of faith. It wouldn't be, you expect that's what, what the rancher is supposed to do, call the vet to help take care of things. But sometimes, I'm telling you, when I look out across our family, our, our extended Alamo City family all over the place, and I'll hear of things that are going on, and you've been to doctors, and when, this isn't against doctors, this isn't against medicine. This is about when the doctors and the medicine haven't been able to help. Then What? Well, if it's possible that the Lord does have working, and I believe he does, within the fabric of the church at large, ones with a specific gift to pray, to believe him for physical healing, like the apostles had that. They, they, many were healed, and as a result, many came to faith in Christ. We, we have gifted evangelists that are a part of our, 
our church. And, and they, they'll walk in a room, they'll stand up and preach, and, and, and many will respond to the message of the gospel to come to Christ. Possible that David, they have that gift of faith to believe for the saving of the lost. David Turner, I believe, has that gift to just believe there is nobody too sick for Jesus. There's nobody too stove up, nobody too hurt that the Lord Jesus can't heal. And he doesn't, doesn't leave you feeling that if you don't believe, if you, if you hadn't gotten healed, it's because you don't have enough faith and all. He knows all the verses that, that have to do with that, if you, if, that, that it may not be the faith that the person who needs to be healed has or doesn't have, but the ones around that person will have faith and the Lord will honor faith. He'll quote scripture. He'll love Jesus. He'll pray for the sick. Those of you way out there, you, you may be in Seattle, you may be in D.C., you, you may be in Amarillo, Texas, or Houston, or wherever, but if you know of someone that medicine hadn't worked, it, it, it's only been able to go so far, doctors only so far, would you pray about making plans to get here and to bring ones with you that may need to be in those services. It's not a dog and pony show. We, we don't, we, we're not doing weird stuff. We just, he will just pray. In the morning, he'll preach, give a gospel invitation, and there'll be many who'll come to know Christ who are in this room on that first Sunday. Then on Sunday night, Sunday evening, about 6, we'll gather again in this room. Charlie and I will sit right over there on that bench, and every time this has happened, Every time this has happened, because I know you. I don't know everything about everybody, but I know some things that are working that have been frustrating, that have, that have, that have been life issue situations that just haven't been fixed. And as David would pray, and as we've seen it again and again, ones that couldn't move their shoulders or their necks or couldn't bend over or couldn't do, and some, it, it's, it's weeks later, they have to go and get a blood test for making sure to see if the cancer's gone or whatever it would be. But I sit right there. And I just, the tears just began to flow as I see the Lord doing what the Lord said he would do in his timing and in his way. And he gets all the glory and, and dignified women who had a hard time with their shoulder walking off like that, kicking a leg. Now, I know some who may be listening to this may be thinking, what in the, where is Alamo City going? Alamo City is going the same place Alamo City has been going for 32 years, chasing Jesus, following Jesus. And we refuse to make some chapter or some instance in the book of Acts a T-Rex or a velociraptor, and it's some kind of dinosaur, and you stick it on a shelf. No, no. Jesus is the same yesterday. He is the same today, and he is the same forever. So whatever he chooses to do, that's what we want to give him opportunity to do as we move toward that Sunday. Fair enough? No, we're not, this, isn't a, this isn't a litmus test of how spiritual you are. Some of you just may not feel like you don't need to be there, don't need to come, and that's fine. That's your choice. But I feel like it needs to be an opportunity, an option for those who are drawn to come. So they don't have to be Alamo City folks, don't have to even know the Lord, don't have to, you know, whatever. Jesus didn't put any any limits on his expression of the love of God. Many times they didn't even know who he was. They didn't know his name, but he loved them anyway. And as a result of his love and the expression of his power, they were drawn to him and were won, were won by him.
And that's our prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we, as we close our time. And bless you for, for being in this house. Remember what we started out with too. If you will honor the Lord, he will honor you. Determine to honor him in your business. Honor him in your relationships. Honor him with your finances. And he will honor you. You'll have a story to tell, and many of you already do. Lord, thank you for the time in this house today. Thank you for the time, most of all, in your presence. Lord, will you cause these things that we've heard that are from you to us personally, cause them to drop 18 inches and cause them to get settled in our heart and in our spirit. And let us be called to pray. Let us be prompted to pray along these lines as you remind us of what you have said in your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.